0: If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. If you're wondering where 2 Kings is, it's in your Old Testament, sort of in the middle of your Old Testament. And we're going to be looking at chapter 4 of 2 Kings, looking at verses 1 to 17 together. Praise God. This morning, I've got a very, very special message to share with all of you. Many of you know that we just came out of an eight week series called Sweeter Than Honey. Everyone say sweeter than honey. You guys enjoy that series? We had a lot of fun during that series. Uh, we used this bucket as a way to demonstrate some of the eight keys that we've been talking about for sweeter, stronger relationships. I'm going to use this bucket for another purpose today. Today we're talking about a message that I've entitled, Powered by Generosity. Powered by Generosity. And you're going to understand why as we get into the message this morning. But today I want to tell you from this passage in 2 Kings chapter 4, there are three big lessons. Everyone say, three big lessons. Three big lessons that we're going to learn that I believe are going to determine your happiness and your success this coming week. That if you will get these three big lessons right, if you will apply these into your lives, it will bring so much blessing into your relationships, into your workplace, into your home, into your marriage, into your kids' lives and your own lives uh, if you apply these messages. If you don't apply these three lessons we're talking about, then uh, it's going to cause your life not to be as happy or full as you'd like it to be. And so I want to encourage you to take some good notes today. Uh, we're talking about powered by generosity. And uh, let's just begin by looking at 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 1, uh, starting there. Let's just read it with me in loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, The wife of a man came from the, co- from the company of the prophets, cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me what to do. What do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him, and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Then she went and told the man of God and said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Keep on going. One day Elisha went to Shunem, and a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. She said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put it put in a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and lay down there. He said to his servant Gehazi, call that Shumanite. He, so he called her and she brought, stood before him. Elisha said to him, tell her, you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She replied, I have a home among my own people. What can we be done for her? Elisha asked. Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. Then Elisha said, call her. So he called her and she stood in the doorway. About this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she objected. Don't mislead your servant, O man of God. But the woman became pregnant. And next year, about that same time, she gave birth to a son, just as Elisha had told her. You guys did a great job reading that passage just now, Can I tell you that? I, I, love, I love hearing our church reading scripture because we believe that the word of God is power for our lives. If you believe that, say amen. And uh, I want to take a look today at 2 Kings chapter four and talk to you about a message I've entitled Powered by Generosity. Because you're gonna find this, is that in this passage we just read, there are two women. Everyone say two women. And these two women, they find themselves on the opposite ends of the spectrum of life. You have on one hand, you have a widow who's lost her husband. And then on the other side, you have a married woman. On the first side, you've got a widow widow who is very, very poor. On the other side, you have a woman who's married who's very, very rich. On this first side, you see a widow who's poor, who's got two kids, two small boys. On the other side, you have a rich, married woman who has no kids, who's childless. On this side, you've got a woman who's a widow. She's got two kids, she's poor, and she can't stop thinking about her problems. On the other hand, you've got a rich, married woman who has no kids, but she seems to be pretty content with her life, and she just wants to be a blessing with what God has given to her. And can I ask you this question today? Which person do you relate to more today? as you're sitting here in church this morning? Do you relate more to the widow who's just thinking about all her problems? Or do you relate more to that woman, that rich woman, who's really kind of just trying to be happy with her life and trying to be a blessing to other people? Which one do you relate to? Maybe you relate to both of them in different ways. But the reason I ask you this today is because you're going to find that in this passage we just read, both of these women, as different as their backgrounds are, they both experience God in a very powerful way. They both experienced God revolution in their lives for the better in ways that they themselves could never have expected. And the reason why I want to share that with you today in part is to tell you this is that God made you to experience him. Amen. Amen. It's that God made you to not just know about him from afar but to experience him up close and I'm so glad that God doesn't play favorites is that you don't have to be rich to experience him you don't have to be poor to experience him you don't have to have a whole bunch of problems in your life to experience him you don't have to have everything going for you well to experience him is that as long as you do three things that we're going to be talking about today you can experience God turn to your neighbor and say you can experience God do you want to experience God today You know, we're going to talk today about three ways that you and I can experience God. These are the same three things that these two women that we've read about did to experience God. And we want to encourage you to do the same today. Why don't you take good notes with me this morning as we get into the Word of God. The first one is this. If you want to experience God in your life, number one, focus on what you have, not on what you don't have. Focus on what you have, not what you don't have. On what you don't have. You notice that this woman, she and her family are going through an awful tragedy. She has lost her husband. She's got two kids that she's trying to take care of, two boys. And this was a family that was serving God. This was a family led by a prophet. We don't know his name, but he was a colleague of Elisha, the most famous prophet of Israel. And they would work together. Have you ever had a colleague who maybe passed away or suddenly was gone? You know, that was Elisha's situation. He had a colleague who was part of his company of prophets. And this prophet, he passes away and leaves behind a wife, a poor widow, and two little boys. And what does that tell you? Is that Just because you love God or serve God or know God, it doesn't mean that you're exempt from trouble. If you believe that, say amen is that you can have a relationship with God, you can believe in Jesus, but Jesus, even Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. In other words, God does not promise you that you will never have trouble if you believe in him. Sometimes it almost feels like it's just the opposite, is that when you trust in him there are some new challenges that you didn't expect, but here's the thing that you can count on, is that whenever God allows trouble in your life, whenever God allows pain in your life, he's doing it for a purpose. It's not because he's cruel. It's not because he's not there. It's not because he doesn't care. But there are three reasons why God allows pain in your life. Can I remind you what they are today? The first reason that God allows pain is to refine you. Everyone to say, to refine me is that the reason why you're going through the struggle you're going through today is not so because God is not there, he doesn't care but he's actually molding your character he's making you a stronger person he's stretching you, making you more mature making you more resilient making you wiser, making you more courageous making you a gentler, more loving person he is refining you tell the person else you give him a high five and say God is refining me God is finding me. That's one of the reasons why God allows pain. Because if you have a comfortable life and there's no challenges, no pressure, no problems, well, you're not just you're not going to grow. God allows pain so we can grow. The second reason why God allows pain is as a reminder. Everyone say a reminder. It's to remind you that heaven is waiting is that our lives on earth, for however many years we have it, is not all there is to it. That heaven is waiting for us. Praise God. I'm so glad that the Bible promises that one day for those who've trusted in Jesus, heaven is waiting. There's a place with no more pain and no more shame, no more crying, no more mourning, and it's a place called heaven. But until we get to that place called heaven, will there be trouble that we experience on earth? Yes, there will. And it's a reminder, every time you go through a painful experience, every time you go through a challenge that you don't know how to resolve, you can thank God and say, God, thank you that this is only temporary. Thank you that heaven is waiting for me. If you believe it, say amen. And if anything, your life on earth is in many ways, three words, preparation for eternity. Your life on earth is preparation for eternity. See, here on this earth, you're going to have maybe 60, 70, 80, God willing, 100 years on earth, but that is a little blip compared to the billions of years you're going to have in eternity. And in many ways, what we do with those years that we have on earth is going to have an impact on how we do or what our lives are like when we get to the real thing. This is like the dress rehearsal. And mistakes happen in dress rehearsals. Things you don't expect happen in dress rehearsals. But praise God, heaven is waiting. Turn your neighbor and say, heaven is waiting for you. There's a third reason why God allows pain in our lives. It's not because he's cruel, but it's because he's revealing his power through you. See, God is a God who, who specializes in making his power known in our weakest moments. If you believe it say amen. He's a God who loves to show his power when we feel like we can't go on, when we have reached our end, when we feel like we're scraping the bottom of the bucket. God loves to use those situations to help us experience his power so that we can say without a shadow of a doubt, it was God who did it and not me. Amen. Since that's why God allows pain in your life. It's to refine you, to remind you, and to reveal His power through you. Now, in this passage, we we're reading in Second in Second Kings, chapter four. How does God show power to this woman? How does Elisha the prophet help this woman to experience God's power? Well, Elisha notices he doesn't pray for her, doesn't preach to her, doesn't perform a miracle in front of her. Instead, she he simply poses a question. And what's the question that he asks? Look at verse 2 of 2 Kings chapter 4. What does it say, verse 2? It says, Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Turn the person on your right and, 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 and give them a high five and say, What do you have? What do you have? What do you have in her house is what Elisha asked this widow. And this widow, she replies and says, oh, your servant has nothing there at all. I've got nothing. I've got nothing to live on anymore. I've got nothing to live for anymore. I've got no hope. I've got no resources. I've got nothing. But then she thinks, oh, but I've just got a little bit of oil. And this is the thing. This widow looked down on what God had given to her. This widow looked down on what she had. And Elisha was getting this woman to focus on on what she already has in her home. Isn't it interesting that very often when you read the Bible and God is about to do a miracle in the lives of people, he will often begin with this question, what do you have? Have you noticed that before? you you got Moses in the book of Exodus. He's called to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And the first question that God asks Moses is, what is in your hand? He wants Moses, for some reason, to take stock of what he has. When Jesus is about to feed over 5,000 people with just five loaves, two fish, what does he ask the people that he's about to use his disciples to to feed the 5,000? He says, what do you have? What do you have? And the same question is being asked by Elisha to this woman when when he says, what do you have in your house? Could it be? Could it be that the reason why you are so negative these days or so worried these days or so depressed or miserable these days is because you're focused on everything that you wish you had that you don't have? or you're focused on everything that everyone else seems to have, but you don't get to have, and as a result, you're complaining. As a result, you're pouting. As a result, you're just constantly comparing yourself to others and feeling really bad about yourself, and be- being on Facebook becomes a depressing thing because every time you see people so happy and you, you know, you, you, people are pressing like, 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 and you're like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. It's because you're thinking about everything that you don't have Instead of focusing on what you do have. And a very big lesson from Second Kings chapter 4 that we can learn today is if you will turn your attention to what God has already given you, not look down on it, but treasure it, God can use the little that you think you have, not just to help yourself, but to help those around you as well. If you believe that, say amen. You know, there's a, a a man by the name of Nick Wojcic, and, and this is his uh, baby picture, one of his earlier pictures when he was a kid. When he was um, born in 1982, uh, to his surprise and to his parents' surprise, uh, especially to his parents who got no notice of this whatsoever, is that Nick was born without arms or legs. The only limb he had was a small foot with two toes. That was the way he was born. And I don't know if you can imagine what it would be like I don't know if anyone can imagine what that is like to live that way. But he was bullied in school. When he was eight years old, he fell into depression. He thought about killing himself. In fact, he thought about drowning himself in a bathtub. Uh, but for some reason, you know, he, he wasn't able to do that. And it was only through a relationship with Jesus Christ that Nick learned to have a much more positive outlook on life, where he learned, rather than thinking of all the stuff he didn't have, he would even pray for arms and legs. And he'd wake up the next day and say, okay, God hasn't answered my prayer but, but in, a, in, a, in a weird, crazy way, as he started to like, trust in Jesus Christ, build a relationship with him, he started to become a guy who realized, you know what, I'm just going to be thankful for what I already have. And so you know, eventually Nick, he gradually figured out how to live on his own, to, to live without limbs, without arms, without legs, to learn to brush his teeth, to comb his hair, to, to shave, to, to write, even type with, you know, a computer where he can type apparently about 45 words per minute. You know, he, he learned to play all sorts of sports. And, and w- rather than just me telling you about this, why don't you check out some of the things that uh, he can do in this video right now. Check this out. You may have seen clips like this before. He's become a bit of an internet sensation. He's one of the most popular motivational speakers out there in the world today. And, and for me, every time I watch this video, I can't help but be touched because I just think, man, isn't it amazing what you can do when you decide to focus on what you have instead of focusing on what you don't have? Amen? Amen? In 2012, Nick got married. In fact, here's a picture of him and his lovely wife who got married and uh, just a few years ago. At his wedding, he said, I may not have hands to hold my wife's hands, but I don't need hands to hold her heart, and that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, and, you know, since that time, this couple, this lovely couple has now two kids, all right? Uh, and they're, uh, you know, happy, healthy boys uh, who are now a part of their expanding family. And this is what Nick wrote about his situation. He said, I have the choice to be angry at God for what I don't have or to be thankful for what I do have. You know, my question for you today is this. What choice are you making today? To be angry at God for what you don't have? Or to be thankful to God for what you do have? Are you more focused on being thankful for the blessings in your life or are you more focused on everything that you want to complain about that you don't have that you wish you had, that your neighbor has but you don't have? Oh, that person excluded me. That person didn't invite me. That person, you know, you know, treated me unfairly. That person hurt me. And, and you're just focused on everything that you don't have when what could very well be today that the very thing that God wants you to turn your eyes to is to all the things that God has already put in your hand. Not to look down on it, but to cherish it because if you cherish it, God can use it in your life and the lives of others. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Praise God. It's about cherishing and focusing on what you have. Turn to the rest to you, give them a high five and say, focus on what you have. I remember when I was serving uh, at a church in Taiwan, and th- those of you who know me, you know that I didn't grow up speaking Mandarin. Taiwan, of course, is a Mandarin-speaking country, and I remember I went there and I was a greeter. I was an usher for people at this event, and I would be, you know, in my best broken Mandarin that I could. I'd be, you know, greeting people and asking them, "Oh, welcome here. How are you? Come, come in. Take a seat." I'd, I'd be leading people to their seats, and I remember there's one guy who uh, came up to me who I'd known from before, and I'm not sure if he said it as a joke or not, but he said, "Jb." your Mandarin has not improved at all. <laughs> your Mandarin is actually really, really bad. And, and, and I laughed and stuff, but in my heart, I was a bit discouraged because I was like really doing my best with what I had to, to, to just, you know, be the best usher I could be. And I went to a stairwell because I was kind of discouraged and I started talking to God and complaining to God about what I didn't have. Start talking about God, like I don't have the language skills. God, I don't have this culture background. I don't have like the same values. I don't I don't know what I'm doing here. God, like, like this, this really sucks right now. Like, 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 I don't like my life. I don't like what's going on. And in the midst of all my complaining, finally I get to this moment where I just kind of instill in God's presence and I just sense the Holy Spirit at that moment say, JB, I would rather that you speak a 100 words of broken Mandarin and be a blessing to others than to speak 5,000 words of perfect Mandarin and not be a blessing to anyone. Amen? And from there, I kind of left that stairwell and went back and go, okay, you know what? I'm just going to do the best I can with what I have. There's nothing else I can do. I might as well do that. And praise God. God blessed what I did as a result, and I enjoyed doing what I did. And it's the, it's the reason I bring that up is because it was learning to focus on what you have. You're going to find this. If you're all focused on stuff that you don't have, you're just going to be miserable all the time, all the time. And you're going to be miserable to hang around. Amen. But if you will focus on what you have and thank God for what you have and use it, God is going to do things that are far beyond all you could ask for or imagine. The same question that Elisha asked this widow is, I believe, the question God is asking you today, what do you have in your house? Is there something that you are taking for granted today that God is going, hello, did you forget about this? Hello, did you remember I've given this to you? God wants you to focus on what you have. If you believe that, say amen. Number two, want you to write this down. If you want to experience God's power working your life, write this down. Make more room for God to work in your life. Make more room for God to work in your life. Look at 2 Kings 4, 3 to 7 with me. Read in a big loud voice and help me preach in this place this morning. 1, 2, 3, it says, Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept on pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. See, what's going on? This woman has nothing but a little bit of oil. I'm just going to picture this. There's oil in this jar, just a little jar of oil. And, and Elisha says, go and find as many jars from your neighbors as possible. Go and collect jars, as many of them as you can. Don't just ask for a few, he says. And so his her sons go all around looking for jars. Her sons are little kids. They probably think it's a game. Ah, I got more jars than you, dude. I got more jars than you. And they, they collect it. They put it all you know, in their house. They close the door. And the woman, this widow, starts to pour, as per Elisha's instructions, starts to pour into each jar. And amazingly, miraculously, the oil does not run Out until they run out of jars. And and see what is the what is the 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 lesson is that 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 is being taught here? See, I I, I gotta let you know this. You know, back in 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 Elisha's time, and even today, oil was a valuable commodity. Is that you know you you would use oil for stuff like food? Of course, you cook with oil. You know, use it as cosmetics. I don't know how girls use it as cosmetics today. do, Do you put oil on your faces? Do you do that? Like moisturizer, maybe? There's also fuel. They'll use it to light lamps. Use it as medicine. They'd use it in religious rituals. When you want to anoint a priest or you want to anoint a body for a funeral, people would anoint it with oil. Oil was something you could sell. And so Elisha says, okay, take all this oil, sell it, use the money to pay off the debt, and the rest of it you guys can live on. This was God's amazing provision for them. And what is the lesson here? Write this down. The lesson you can learn from this experience is that God will fill you, as much room as you give him. God will fill as much room as you give him. Is that you give him a little bit of room. You give him one jar, he'll fill that. You give him a lot of room. You give him a 100 jars, he will fill that. You give him no room at all, and he's he's got nowhere to put the blessing he wants to give you in his life. Amen. It's about how much room you're willing to give him. I don't know if you know this, but oil is actually a picture of the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Jesus says, you know, the, the, the Spirit of God has anointed me. It's this idea that the Holy Spirit is compared to oil that is anointed on a priest. And I don't know if you know this as well, but having us know that jars are used in the Bible to describe our lives is that, you know, Paul in 2 Corinthians will say, we have this treasure. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's saying, we have this treasure in jars of clay. He's talking about our lives. To show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so when we when you hear about oil and jars, we're not just talking about a widow and her boys and their economic situation. But in fact, this story is talking about you and me. This story is talking about how God wants to fill the jar of clay called your life with his Holy Spirit and his blessing. If you believe that, say Amen. And so, you know, for me, it's like a highlight for me going through this past year is just watching different people making more room for God so that God can fill their lives. It's like in a way that they didn't before, they're holding out a jar and saying, God, would you fill this one? Oh, how about how about this one? This one's a bit bigger. Can you fill this one? Okay, can you Yes, thank you so much. How about this one? This is the same size. Oh, let me take off the lid. How about this one? Okay, here, this one. And and what is it is I've seen over and over this past year, one of the most encouraging things, different people, especially a lot of young people who are now learning to take stuff that they never thought God could use and never thought God could do anything with and saying, God, would you do something with this? For example, I've known guys who've struggled with pornography for many, many years and they haven't talked to anyone about it. They haven't you know, sought any kind of help at all but it's been a problem in their lives. It's been a struggle. They, they, they deal with guilt and shame all the time because of it. And, 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 they, they, and because they're learning to give that jar to God, that emptiness to God, you know, they, they, they realize that through a relationship with Jesus, their jars filled in a way that they could have never filled it by continuing to look at pornography. And as a result, there is joy, there is life, there is, there, there is a, a sense of peace in their lives that they didn't have before. I've, I've had other friends who, you know, they before didn't really have a good handle on their you know, finances. They never really learned to manage their finances, never learned to tithe. They're, they're, they're Christians who, you know, they know, okay, I, I got to tithe. I, I'm, the Bible tells, tells me I should tithe, so I'm going to try to tithe. And when they start to tithe, when they start to, to give the first 10% of their income to God, and, and they don't waste it on other things. They don't waste it on, you know, uh, online games. They don't waste it on other stuff. They, 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 they give the first part to God. They find that, man, God provides everything that they need. That the word of God is reliable and true. And if I give that jar called my finance to God, he fills it up as, with as much room as I give him. If you believe that, say amen. You know, I've, I've seen other people who have relationship issues, where they've been hitting a roadblock in their marriage, or roadblock in their friendships with others, roadblock in their dating relationship, and when they started to give God more room to work in their lives, learn to do relationships God's way, learn to do what we've been talking about in our Sweeter Than Honey series the past eight weeks, about how to have a sweeter, stronger relationship, is that they start doing those things, start to give God more room, they find that, man, my relationships are starting to fill up in a way that they didn't before. It's because God loves to fill the room that we give to him if you believe that give god a big big hand here in this place right now because that's the kind of god that we serve he is a god who loves to fill when we give him room but if you don't give him any room there's nothing to fill If you only give him a little bit of room, then there's going to be so much blessing that is withheld from your life only because you didn't give him room. Do you guys know what the difference is between someone who experiences God in a powerful way over and over again and someone who maybe experiences God in a very small way, maybe once in their life? Do you know what the difference is? It's not their background. It's not their intelligence. It's not their personality. It's not how emotional they are. It all boils down to one thing. How much room are you giving to God? How much room are you giving to God? Are you giving God your time, the best of your time? Are you doing the things that God is telling you to do? Are you giving him that room? You know, a lot of people, they will come to God, even at church, with a closed lid. And it's almost like, you can, you can wave this around and go, God, 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 I love you. Jesus, I love you. But for as long as the lid is on, there's nothing that God can do to fill. You know, like, for example, I've, I've talked to, to, you know, on occasion I'll talk to people who, uh, and this is maybe outside the church or inside the church sometimes, and, and I'll, I'll, get, I'll get this question sometimes. They'll be like, hey, Pastor JB, they'll be like, you know, the Bible is so full of contradictions, so much stuff that doesn't make sense. What do you make of that? And I'm, okay, well, can, can you give me an example of a contradiction or something that doesn't make sense? Like, oh, I don't know. Like I just I haven't really read the Bible myself. I don't I don't I don't really know. And okay, wait, 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 okay. So you're saying that the Bible doesn't make sense, it's full of contradictions, but you've never read it before, and so you're but you're nonetheless concluding that it doesn't make sense? That doesn't make sense. Right? It's because they've had a closed lid. It's that they've made an assumption about God's word, they've made an assumption about the Bible before actually opening up the word of God. You know, other people, you know, they might be Christians already, but they, they've got a closed lid. Is that they're like, you know what, okay, I I'll give God my Sunday morning. I'll give God maybe you know, 15 minutes during the day, but when it comes to this relationship, that's mine to figure out. When it comes to my career, that's mine to figure out. When it comes to my money, excuse me, i got to do something with my money. That's mine to figure out. And as well, it's a closed lid. God can't bless it. God can't do anything with it because we can, only, we can only fill the amount of room that we give to him. If you believe that, say amen. See, how much you experience God all depends on how much room you give him. I'll, I'll share this experience it's kind of a private experience but you know a lot of times my embarrassing stories are for your edification or your entertainment or both hopefully uh, but let me tell you this one story is uh, you know the Bible says that speaking in tongues praying in tongues is uh, you know a gift that God uh, you know g- does give to his people and and I, I, I you know for a long time I grew up in a very traditional church where you never heard about speaking in tongues you never heard about praying in tongues and I remember you know there was I was at a church another church I was visiting a, I was in another city I was at a church there that where everyone spoke in tongues and and they're like uh, and then I guess somehow I got mixed up into the the, 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 I guess the middle of their prayer circle where they, they just put me in there and said, Pray in tongues now! Pray in tongues now. And I'm like, uh, and, and at that moment I'm I'm still learning about tongues. I'm like, I'm I'm like open to it, but I didn't really want it. I'm just like I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm so 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 I'm I'm there while you know everyone is like laying hands on me. And, and sometimes people think, okay, the the, the the more I press, the harder I press, the more effect there will be. So I've got like 10 hands all over me, and they're pressing me down, down, down. And sometimes I, I, I start I go up and they press me down again. I press, I press them down, and I start doing lunge exercises this way. This is a really good leg work. Right, and, and just kept them going up and down, up and down, up and down. But I wasn't praying in tongues, and and, and it wasn't something that I wanted to fake. I didn't want to go, uh, you know, like some people say, oh, oh, just say, uh, uh, I bought a Honda, she bought a Yamaha, right? I bought a Honda, she bought a Yamaha, I bought a Honda. And it sounds very spiritual, but that's, you're just talking about motorcycles at that moment. And 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 that, that was that was me as well. I was just like, you know, I don't want to do that. But and so in a way, it was like, you know what, my life was like at that moment when it came to speaking in tongues. It was like maybe like this. There was a crack open. It was like, it was barely even open. It wasn't until I got to be part of a church in Taiwan where. They would speak in tongues, pray in tongues, but in a very cool, safe way. Where they would, they would, you know, when everyone's praying out loud, you can pray in whatever language you want. Many people prayed in Mandarin. I'd pray in English. A lot of people who spoke in tongues would pray in tongues, and we just all pray out loud together. And and more and more, I just noticed that you know, some of these people that I know who pray in tongues, they they just have this 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 radiance about them that just like they just seem to love Jesus a lot. And I was like, you know what, I kind of want that. I kind of want that, and and, and and all of a sudden, it's almost like my heart started to open up a little bit more. The lid started to come off a little bit more, and after a while, it wasn't in a prayer meeting. It wasn't in the service. It wasn't with anyone else. I remember it was in the middle of my living room where I'm just, you know, Charlene, Pastor Char, she's sleeping, and I, I can't sleep because, you know, I, got, I was sick a lot in Taiwan. I'd, I'd get up from my bed. I'd go to the living room. I'd sit on our couch and just kind of have my hands out this way and say, God, you know, I I pray today for the gift of tongues. It It was no longer, oh, if you'll give it to me, then sure. Oh, if you want me to have it, then fine. But it was me saying, God, I ask for that gift today. I asked for that gift today. And it was all of a sudden, the lid had come off. And when the lid came off, all of a sudden, there was something there that I couldn't fake. Something there that I couldn't manufacture. And as a result, you know, praying in tongues, you know, it's a gift that God can give. It, it's, it's a gift that has been a, such a blessing in my life. You know, sometimes before I get up on the stage to preach, you know, while everyone is up here in the crowd and we're, we're worshiping, I'll I'll be praying in tongues. You know, while, like, just quietly. Just like in my, under my breath, just to get ready, to get me sensitive to maybe what God would want to do during the service, it's become one of the most important blessings in my life. One of the things I love about praying in tongues is that you don't have to, you know, think too much. You know, maybe you are someone who uses your mind a lot for, you know, work purposes or, you know, you're figuring out things a lot and your mind is tired. The thing I love about praying in tongues is I don't have to use my mind. I can just pray from my spirit, from my heart, and just open my heart up to God and pray and commune with him and, and feel his presence that way. And what I've found that as a result, that it's such a blessing in my life. But none of it would have happened if I didn't open up myself to God. None of it would have happened if I hadn't made more room for God in my life. Turn your, turn your neighbor and say, give more room to God. Give more room to God. Amen. How about you? I believe that with every single one of us, there is a next step that God wants you to take in your relationship with God. There's a next stage he wants you to take on in your relationship with God. Maybe for some of you, it's to get baptized. Baptism is something that's so simple. In fact, it's the, it's the first thing that you do when you decide to receive Jesus into your life. Baptism doesn't mean you're a perfect Christian. It doesn't mean that you don't have more questions. It doesn't mean that you'll never make a mistake. It simply means that you, you believe in Jesus and you want to follow him. That's all it means. And the Bible says that, okay, as the first evidence that you really do believe, just get baptized. It's not something that you do, it's something that's done for you. You get dunked in water, and it's a way for you to say, I believe in Jesus. If maybe you've never taken that step of baptism before, can I tell you, I believe God's next step for you is to get baptized. We have our next baptism service sometime in the early part of 2018, and we want to encourage you to take advantage of that. It's about giving more room to God. If you believe it, say amen. Maybe for you it's taking part in our TDS1, getting to know Thrive Church right after the service. Is that you've been coming to Thrive now, you want to make Thrive Church your home church, you've been here just maybe for a few weeks and you're like, you know what, I really like what's going on here, I want to find out more. Or you want to get baptized, you want to find out more about what that is, take our TDS1 class, this is happening after the service. Maybe for you it's about clearing your schedule on a Sunday morning. Maybe you're now kind of like, you work sometimes on Sundays, you don't work sometimes on Sundays. And so you can't be here every Sunday. I encourage you the next step to make more room for God is clear your schedule. Talk to your boss and say, hey, I'm so sorry, but is it okay if I take Sundays off? I'll work any other day, but Sundays is a day that I want to protect because, and in your heart, you don't have to say this to your boss, but you can say, because I want to make more room for God. Amen. Amen. It's about whatever that next step, step is. Maybe it's to commit to a small group. Maybe it's about you know, learning to have a daily time with God. Maybe it's about learning to pray out loud. Maybe it's something that you have not used to. You can learn to do that. Maybe it's about learning to step out of your comfort zone a little bit and let people know, hey, I go to church. You want to come with me? Hey, I'm a Christian. Can I pray for you? Maybe it's that next step that you need to take. Maybe it's about going on a short-term mission trip this coming year. Praise God. There's a next step for everyone. The question is, will you make more room for God so that that next step isn't just a dream, but a reality. It's not just, oh, that's a nice idea, but it's actually something that happens. It can happen. Turn next to you, turn to the person next to you, and tell them it can happen. It can happen. It can happen when you give more room to God. And that's why I want to encourage you every single day, come to God like an empty jar. Say, God, I need you. God, there's no words to describe how much I need you. God, I don't even know how much I need you, but I know that I need you. Would you fill me today? And you come to God with an open lid, an empty jar, and say, God, there's no one I need more than I need you. Look at Romans 5, verse 5 together. Read it with me in a loud voice. What does it say? It says, and hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. And I'm gonna show you the message paraphrase of, This verse, and especially after you've read second Kings chapter four, you're gonna find that this verse is like, wow, it's like I I can see what's going on here and how it connects with what we've been reading. Check this out. What does it say? Read it with me in a loud voice. One, two, three, it says, In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours out into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. It's that you cannot give God too many containers. It just as Elijah says, is don't just ask for a few. You can give God as many containers as you can possibly think of, and he will fill it as long as you make more room for him. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Talk, turn your neighbor and say, don't just ask for a few. Don't just ask for a few. If you want to experience God's power in your life, it's about making more room for God to work in your life. What is one way that you need to make more room for God this coming week? I want to encourage you to take that step today. Be bold. Be courageous. Don't wait until all the circumstances are perfect before you do it. Don't wait until you've got no more questions before you do it because when you do it, believing that, God, you are there and you are with me, then God will do amazing things in and through your life. Has this been helpful in this place this morning? Praise God. Number three, why don't you write this down? If you want to experience God's power in your life, write this one down. Be generous with what you have. Practice generosity. And we read earlier today about this woman who was a married, rich woman. She didn't have children, but she had a home. And this woman, she would say, okay, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a prophet. I'm not some, you know, really, really outgoing person who can be on a stage. But I've got a home, and I want to open it up. For those who need it. And she said, You know what? I'm going to first start off by opening this home up for Elisha, the prophet, and his team to have meals. They can eat with us whenever they're in town. And that's what they did. They opened up their home, and they allowed, her to, allowed Elisha and his team to, to have meals with them anytime they were there. Then, then she, she didn't stop there. She's like, you know what, hubby? She talked to her husband. Hey, hubby, uh, can we make a room for their team and a room for Elisha on the top of our roof so that whenever they're here, he has a place to stay? Made a simple penthouse suite for him on the top. And that's exactly what they did. She literally was making more room for God. She was literally renovating her home to make more room for God. That is what she was doing. She was focusing on what she had, not on what she didn't have. She's now making more room for God. And as a result, she's blessing other people. But she's doing one more thing. She's practicing generosity. Everyone say generosity. Are you a generous person? If I were to ask the people who are closest to you, who know you best, would they say you're a generous person? Would they say that you're someone who is generous with your money, generous with your time, generous with your words, generous with your talents, or are you someone who's kind of known as a kind of a, a scrooge when people are around you? They're like, uh, oh, are you going to pay for your meal? Can you pay for mine too? Right. Is, is that, who, which one are you? See, God made us to be people of generosity because God is a God of generosity. Amen. See, some things I've learned about generosity is this. Generosity produces joy. Is that when we are you know, acting in generosity, we step into one of God's big purposes for our lives, which is to serve God with our talents, to help others with what God has given to us. It brings us joy to be able to help others and to do the things that God has called us to do. Another thing that I found about generosity is this. Generosity makes a real difference in the lives of other people. You know, I was talking this past couple weeks, and it's just amazing how the timing of these things is just, I, I've talked to, like, a number of people who have heard about the stuff that's been going here at Thrive Church, the good things, and, and saying, you know what, we want to support what you guys are doing. And, and so some of them will say, you know, here's a donation for, uh, you know, what's going on here at Thrive. Um, they might be living in another country, another city. Another person, they said, you know, we want to include you in our will. We want to say, you know, when we die, we, we, want, we, we have this you know this, 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 this chunk of stuff that we want to not just give to our relatives, but we want to give that to Thrive Church because we've heard about the stuff, the, the, the cool things that are going on in this church and how people that we know are being blessed by it. And so as a result, they're saying, you know what, include Thrive Church in my will. Isn't that cool? Isn't that incredible? Praise God for that. And, and, and so this, what is that? That is generosity making a real difference in other people's lives. I was even talking to someone yesterday who was thinking about making uh, you know, that, that kind of donation. And I told him, you know what? That if you're making a donation like this, know this. Is that you are not just impacting your own family. You're not just impacting our church. But you are impacting our city and generations to come. If you believe that, say amen. Can we give God a big, big hand for all of those things that have been happening? Praise God. It's because generosity makes a real difference in the lives of others. Number three is generosity produces maturity in the giver. Is that when you respond with generosity, when you act in generosity, you mature. You start, you, you stop being a spectator, a consumer, very self-centered and you, you go anywhere with a me, me, me attitude. You go anywhere to church or to, you know, to, to school with a, just like serve me, help me, do things for me, make me laugh, make me cry, do those things. But instead it's like, you know, how can I give to bless others? You mature as a result. You know, one of the biggest ways you can measure a person's spiritual maturity is in the way that they give, how consistently they give how faithfully they give. Do they give because they want the attention, or do they give something because they've got a generous heart? Maturity is something that happens when you are generous. You grow into the person God made it to be. Why don't you write this one down? You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. See, you can give without loving, In which case, you know, you you just give because you know you just you know oh there's a person on the street oh forget all penny here you go and and, and what's that when you give without loving you're not going to give very much you're not going to give very well but here's the thing when it comes to love you cannot love without giving love and giving. Go hand in hand. You know, for example, look at John 3, 16. What does it say? One of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Read it with me in a loud voice. 1, two, 3, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you have your Bibles in front of you, I want you to underline two words right now. For God so loved, underline that, and then that he gave, underline that. See, what happened? God loved, therefore he gave. God loved, therefore he gave. Is that giving came with the loving. Is that you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And because God loved you and me so much, he gave his only son. When we had nothing to give God, when there was no way we could earn His love, when there was no way we could meet His standards, when each and every one of us said, "Hello, God, I'm going to like, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be anything to do with you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I, I'm just going to live my own way, do my own thing." When we had rebelled against God and had no way to pay the debt that we owed God, God said, "I love you still, and because I love you, I'm going to give my Son for you. My Son is going to give His life for you, so that I can give you forgiveness." and give you eternal life and give you purpose and give you hope and give you a second chance so that even if you don't want it right now, it is always waiting for you because I'm a God of generosity. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place. He's a God who loves to give because he's a God of tremendous love. If you believe that, say amen. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 with me. 1, 2, 3, it says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Did you guys get that? Is that because Christ loved us, he gave himself up for us. You, can't, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Praise God. You know, why do I show you these verses? It's to show you that God is a God of incredible generosity. And he calls us to be people of incredible generosity as well. Why don't you write this one down? The kingdom of God is powered by generosity. See, the reason why you're here today, very likely, is not simply because you just came. The reason why you're here today is because someone else practiced generosity. You might know them or you might not know them. Maybe it's someone who invited you here. Maybe it's someone who prayed for you. Maybe it's someone who a long time ago preached a message that you responded to. Maybe it's someone who created a small group that you could be a part of. Maybe it's someone who created, a, uh, you know, helped build a church, and, and in that church you found your wife, your husband, your best friends. You know, someone, the reason why you are here today is because of the generosity of others. You know, if I was Mr. Rogers, you guys, have you ever watched Mr. Rogers? Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you know, won't you be my neighbor, you know that song? And then he's Mr. Rogers, one of the most, most famous educational programs of all time. Mr. Rogers, he would always say this, take a moment right now just to think about that person who's made such a difference in your life through their generosity, in a moment of silence. I'm not going to do that with you right now, but the fact is this, every single one of us is here because of the generosity, not just of God, but of people of God. If you believe it, say amen. And see, let me put it this way. The kingdom of God is powered by generosity. Uh, Anyone like laptops? You guys like laptops? Yeah, some of you are like, I don't don't know if I like it or not. Like, I just use one. I I have a laptop. um, And I recently got it from Best Buy, okay? And uh, the thing about me for a long time when it came to laptop shopping was I was very, very superficial, all right? Very, very superficial. I just look at screen size. Uh, I'd look at how sleek it looked, Uh, you know, I'd look at the sound system, but I would never bother to think about anything more than that. And so I remember I got that, uh, I got that laptop and I showed Pastor Char, I was like, hey, Charlene, look at this, look at my new laptop. And she's like, oh, that's great. Okay. And, And then I started using it. I'm like, man, this, this, this thing is slow. This thing is so slow. It's because, you know what, I was focused all on the exterior instead of the interior. That's what a lot of people in relationships make. Like, that's the kind of mistake that people make. They're all focused on the exterior, not, in the, on not the interior. And, and, and why do I mention that? It's because what I re- learned about laptop shopping is that the processor matters. Amen. Is that, is that you can have the sleekest, you know, most best, like the b- most good looking like, laptop in the world. But if it's got like a, you know, like a 0.25 uh, gigahertz processor, then you're going to be looking at your screen for a very long time before you see Windows or before you see Google. And, and it's just going to take a very, very long time. And, and it's because the processor matters. In the same way, can I tell you this? Generosity in your life is like the processor inside you. Is that you can look very sleek and smooth, be all nice to people, very polite, but at the end of the day, what's powering your life is how much generosity you have. It's how much how generous you have, how generous of a heart you have. It's it's because the kingdom of God is powered by generosity. So my question for you today is: how generous are you? How much have you used what God has given to you? Your finances, your time, your words, your talents, your resources, your opportunities to build God's kingdom. This Christmas, you know, we have an incredible opportunity to practice generosity. Our parent church, Torch Covenant Church, is an incredible church in the city of Taipei, Taiwan. We would not be here as a church without them. It's just like a parent and a child, same relationship is that, you know, the, the Thrive Church is a child of of, of, of Torch Church. We came out of, Pastor Char and I, we came out of Torch Church uh, to plant Thrive Church. And so you know Thrive Church just wouldn't be here if it weren't for Torch Church. And Torch Church right now, uh, an incredible church that has grown to a size of about 1,800 people in the city of Taipei. They meet right in the city center, right in the, the central subway station there. They are in the midst of one of the most exciting things that they've ever done as a church. And uh, I want to show you a video of it. Is that okay? Can I show you a little bit of our Mother Church? I don't talk to them all the time, but they're very, very dear to us. They are our fans family in Christ. Uh, we wouldn't be here without them. But can you check out this, this, uh, this with me as well? You might even see a couple of familiar faces in this video as well. Why don't you check out this video right now? Did you guys like that video? You know, in this video, you'll probably see some, a few familiar faces. You probably saw, uh, you know, some of our staff like Ryan, Amy, Yours truly, uh, Silas is in that one as well, and some of them are speaking Mandarin. You usually hear them speaking English, and so that might have been kind of interesting for you guys to experience. But there's, all, a, there's a lot of other people in that video that you don't know. But can I tell you this? Is that as members of Thrive Church, these people that you've seen, and so many more that aren't in the video, these are all part of the same family. These are your family members. These are your spiritual family members, your brothers and sisters in Christ, And, you know, we wouldn't be here without them, without their prayers, without their support. Uh, We wouldn't be a church today without them. And now in this very exciting season, uh, our brothers and sisters at Torch Church are in the midst of a building program. They're in the midst of finding and purchasing their own land to build a very uh, sizable building. And it's not just about building a building. It's about reaching more people for Jesus. And, uh, you know, we show this to you because as a church, as the child-daughter church of Torch Church, uh, we believe the best is yet to come. Amen. And we want to be a part of what God is doing, not just here in the city, but also around the world, and especially with our dear brothers and sisters at Torch Church. Uh, and so we, just let you know, are going to be in the process of, 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 of de- getting some details down so we can give uh, a good donation, uh, a, generous, uh, a generous contribution to their program, because we believe that in doing this, we're not just helping our family, but we are using what we have and being generous with it so that God can expand his territory all around our world. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Praise God. Amen. And because of that, we need to give generously. Because of that, for our own church's sake, we need to give generously. Because of that, so that you know our, our staff don't starve and our lights don't go out and you know we can continue to be a, a church that is making a difference in the city, we want to give generously because the kingdom of God is powered by generosity. If you believe that, say amen. Look at First Timothy chapter six, verse seventeen and to nineteen. Together, read it with me in loud voice. One, two, three. It says, "Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment." We'll just go back there before verse seventeen. Command those who are rich. Well, okay. Paul's talking to Timothy. Paul, a pastor, talking to his disciple. He's saying, "Command those in your church who are rich in this present world to not be arrogant." not put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with his enjoyment for, our, for everything, for our enjoyment. Keep on going. It says, verse 18, command them to be doing good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share in the same vein, in the same spirit. As members of Thrive Church, I'm going to tell you this today. You guys are all rich. Amen? We are rich. We are among the most privileged people in the world to live in a city like Vancouver. And we are commanded by the word of God to be rich in good deeds, not to put our hope in wealth, but to be willing to share and to be generous with what God has given to us. And so let's do that for the glory of God. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That's what he's calling us to do, amen? And the beautiful thing about being generous is this. You can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. The moment you think you've given more than God has given to you, you're wrong because God always finds a way to outgive you. For example, uh, you know, uh, my, 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 my son Bradley, he's five years old and he, he just lost a tooth uh, just this past week uh, his very first tooth. Um, is that okay for me sure Yeah, okay. and uh, and he's a uh, he he's a uh, he, he, he What what happened was you know we we're just we, we we're at home and it's just me and him and we we were working on this uh, we're working on this uh, the script that is for a play that he's in school and and while he's doing he, he he's like oh oh and 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 he took out his tooth and and it was that, that was his first lost tooth and 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 he was really excited uh, and i was i was really excited and he was like oh yeah 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 my first lost tooth and then what he did, he we we went up to his stairs up to his 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 uh, his room and, and we, we he put it under the bed and uh, the next morning the next morning he woke up and there was this whole package waiting for him uh, from a very very organized and very very responsible tooth fairy okay who, who said, dear Bradley, I usually don't give these kind of messages to every kid, but I'm going to give this to you. Congratulations on your lost tooth!" And give, gave him a coin and all that stuff. And what was that? Is that this tooth fairy made sure that, he, that, 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 that Bradley would never be outgiven. Amen? He, he, he wouldn't, he, that, that Bradley would, would always, whatever he gave, he would always get more. That is the heart of your heavenly father for you. If you think that, oh, if I give this, if I give this, that what if I don't get anything back in return? What if I get shortchanged? God's heart is not that way. God has more resources than anyone else, and he will make sure that whatever you give, he will outgive for your sake and for the sake of his glory. Come on, if you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. He is a God who loves to outgive. Turn to Christian on your right you'll give him a half-half, and say, you can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. Look at 2 Corinthians 9, chapter uh, chapter 9, verse 6 and 8. Read with a loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need you will abound in every good work come on give God a big big hand here in this place right now that is the word of God it's worth cheering for it's saying you can never outgive God and so I'm here to tell you throughout church it's time for us to give to give not just our voices and our prayers but also give where God has given to us financially because when we give we're showing God where our heart is amen You can tell what is most important to a person by looking at two things. No matter what they say, no matter how much they say, oh, I love you, or I love this, or that's so important to me, you can tell what is most important to a person by looking at two things, their schedule and their wallet. Those are the two things you can look at that will say a huge, uh, will, will say so much about what is truly important to that person. Their schedule, how they use their time, their wallet, how they use their money. Because Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you believe that, say amen. You know, Christmas is just 21 days away. But you don't have to wait till 21 days from now to be generous. We cannot just have a Merry Christmas. I believe God wants us to have a generous Christmas as well. You know, last story for you today. I've got a nephew. His name is Keo. He's about uh, about two years old. And uh, Keo, he is uh, really into Santa right now. So into Santa so much into Santa that he will dress up like Santa every day, okay? He will put on a red suit. He will wear a sack. The only thing he's missing is a beard, okay? But he's got a sack that he holds, uh, you know, like across his back. He's got this red suit that he goes around in and he goes, ho, 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 And, and you know, when I see that, it's a great reminder for you and for me that you and I, we were made to be like Santa. That you and I, in fact, we were made to be Santa. What does that mean? Do you mean that I need to gain a whole bunch of weight and, and you know, start wearing a red suit and, and all that stuff? No, no, no. See, do you know what Santa actually means? Do you know what Santa means? Santa means saint, it means holy. And, and so, you know what? The Bible says that everyone who places their trust in Jesus is a saint. You might think saint is, oh, those really especially spiritual people. No, no, no. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. You are a Santa. Amen. I'm looking at Santa Loretta right now. Santa Ra- Rachel, you know, Santa Andy. You, and, and so if, if you want to go take pictures with Santa, you don't have to go line up for an hour at Richmond Center. All you have to do is take a selfie. Amen. All you have to do is go to someone else here at Thrive Church and take a selfie together and say, hey, I've just taken a picture with Santa. It's a good-looking Santa. Amen. Amen. It's because you and I, we are saints in the kingdom of God when God looks at us when he sees us he doesn't see our sin anymore because Jesus Christ's blood covers our sin what he sees is someone righteous holy chosen blameless included and destined for him and when he sees us he sees not a sinner he sees a saint come on give God a big big hand because that's the way that God looks at you tell the princess to give him a high five and say you look like a saint tell the princess to you santa claus is here okay say, say something like that or santa char is here or santa andy is here that, that that's the fact that, that that's the fact is that if you trust in jesus you are a saint you are santa to this generation if you believe that say amen that doesn't mean you have to grow a beard that doesn't mean you have to wear a red suit all you have to do is be generous with what you have and if you do that you are living out the calling that god has for your life it's when you practice generosity amen God's God's kingdom is powered by generosity. God's people are powered by generosity. Generosity, the Holy Spirit is the power in you. He's the processor in the laptop called your life. He is the power empowering you to be someone who spreads generosity to those around you into God's kingdom, into the world, into your family, into your workplace so that many more people can realize that God is real, his love is true, his word, is reliable. And because of Jesus Christ, there is hope for today and hope for tomorrow and hope for eternity. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Praise God. Why don't you stand to your feet? Give the person on your right and left give him a high five and say, and say you're a good looking Santa. Amen. Amen. You're a good looking Santa. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Has this been helpful for you today? Have you learned something today? Praise God.